0: Hello and welcome to Lessons Learned with me, Laura Winter. In this podcast, I'm going to speak to star sports men and women about the moments, choices, or indeed in hindsight, the mistakes that have formed the backdrop to their greatest victories and their biggest defeats. Because more often than not, a lesson learned the hard way is a lesson learned for a lifetime. Welcome back to Lessons Learned. I am Laura Winter, sports broadcaster, podcaster, obviously, host and journalist, and I am so excited to be bringing you another season of my podcast. We are about to delve into the minds of brilliant sports people once again to discover the pinnacle moments that have shaped their professional and personal lives and the lessons they have learned along the way. Perhaps lessons we could all take some comfort and inspiration from too. I am about to speak to Championship footballer Matt Smith. The striker who has played for a plethora of clubs in English football is also my old school friend so I'm really looking forward to catching up with him. His five lessons are a wonderful blend of personal and professional and I have no doubt you will find them engaging. This season, in each episode, I also want you to be involved as well. So keep your eyes peeled on social media at Lessons Learned Pod and at Laura C. Winter and get your questions in. The best will be asked on the podcast. Lessons Learned is now out weekly, dropping every Monday. So make sure you hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And finally, we are recording at the start of 2021, so unfortunately, like last year, due to the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, Matt and I spoke virtually, but we've smoothed the audio out as much as possible for you. Enjoy. I am delighted to welcome Matt Smith as my guest today. Matt is a championship footballer who has had a somewhat unusual path to the top ranks of the sport. The striker first played professionally for League One side Oldham and helped them to the FA Cup fifth round in 2013, beating Liverpool on the way. He has also had stints at Bristol, Leeds, QPR and Fulham and is currently playing for Millwall. He is also an old mate from Pate's Grammar School here in Gloucestershire and more commonly known in our friendship group as Simply Smith. Smith, how are you?
1: <laughs> I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Laura. No, I'm good. I'm good. That's I know. All...
0: I'm so excited to have you on. I was just thinking, though, I can't call you Matt. I've not no, known you as good. Matt it's ever.
1: I know. Uh, to be fair, not many people do call me Matt, so don't worry. Uh, but yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm so It's not my bedroom. It's not the awful wallpaper behind me. It's a village hotel in Watford. So i am like, got an away, away day. So uh, you got me in the, in the hotel before the game.
0: I was about to ask you actually where you are in the world right now as well, because um, it's a strange one, isn't it? Football's continuing behind closed doors, no fans and all that. So I guess the merry-go-round continues for you guys.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's been ongoing, obviously. Um, we had a, a short break uh, at the beginning in lockdown one, but we've, we've kind of carried on through, which has been great, I think, for, for the country to have that sort of, Enjoyment, that release factor of watching games of football—something they enjoy—which takes your mind off the doom and gloom of, of lockdown and, and all the rest of it. So it's been great from that perspective. I think as players, obviously, no fans is is pretty rubbish. I think if you asked anyone, they would say the same thing. That like the realism of the games is just not quite there. But at the same time. Like, I have to be very, very grateful for the fact that I still have structure to my day and, you know, playing, doing what I love and all the rest of it. You know, I've got to be very grateful because for a lot of people, that's not the case. So definitely, definitely grateful for that.
0: I think everyone was so, so happy to see live sport come back last sort of June, July. Um, And then for it to have continued as well throughout this latest lockdown, certainly here in the UK, we're recording in February in 2021 aren't we and yeah it's very much live sport is continuing so people can at least get that little dose of escapism watching their club on TV and I guess the fans are all the more grateful for it and when they get back in the stadium as well oh my gosh it's going to be so good.
1: So good yeah we actually obviously we had that sort of small period of time where Boris let two to four thousand fans back in for like a three-week window which is quite random but um so we had i had a couple of games where i had like two to four thousand and even that compared to the usual 18 to 20 was it just gave me shivers going out to. so i can't even imagine what it's going to be like returning to like normal crowds which would be which would be great but i think we're all looking forward to that definitely
0: Oh, absolutely. I know I did a couple of rugby matches when they had 2,000 in and they definitely made themselves heard, even though they were just 2,000. Yeah. It still gives you goosebumps. I can't wait for a full stadium. It'll be epic. Um, we're going to start with probably my favourite period of time in which I've known you. <laughs> Smith, okay. <laughs> it's not school, That's but it was times.
1: no, <laughs> it was just something different. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it was the magic of the FA Cup. Oh, my goodness me! Honestly, I look back on this period with such fond memories. Um, and when we were talking about the possible moments or lessons that you could include, I think this was the first one I suggested, and it was the first one that you said, Yeah, let's get it in there. The magic of the FA, FA Cup, you scored twice. Um, In the fourth round, beating Liverpool 3-2 and then equalised against Everton in the fifth round in the 95th minute. And I honestly think I'll remember that moment for the rest of my life. I'm sure you (laughs) will as well. Talk us through that period because it was just incredible.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I'm not really one to self-reflect, but when you did ask me, you know, what are periods of your life that you can reflect on? And they were kind of like monumental periods. Yeah, I'd probably have to say that was even more monumental than just becoming a professional Because like what I've learned is there's becoming a professional, but then there's sustaining your career in the game, which is totally different. You see plenty of players get given an opportunity, a few games fall by the wayside. It's that ability to to sustain your level for a for a period of time, and that was my breakthrough moment was was that FA Cup run in 2013. Because what was quite obvious was up to that point I'd had 18 months of professional football, my first taste of it, and it was very mediocre at at best. You know that would be that would be a polite way of putting it. Um, and just the knock-on effect of, of those games, really, because they they did kind of come a bit out of the blue. Like it wasn't like I was carrying a great deal of form going into those games. I would had a really good game in the previous round against Nottingham Forest, which in itself was a giant killing because we beat them in the previous round. And, and yeah, I, I don't really quite know what what happened for that for, the, for that block of games. Um, obviously, the Liverpool game happened. Two goals, man of the match. One knocked them out of the cup. And when you look at that team, you know Gerrard, Henderson, Suarez, Sterling. It was totally star-studded. So it wasn't like they fielded a weak team by any means. It was a, it was a proper giant killing of the of the highest order. And then to get Everton in the next round and obviously take them so far into the into the replay at Goodison Park, it was the compound effect of those two games and the influence that had on the rest of the season in in um, gathering momentum, gathering form, confidence. I got League One Player of the Month and that snowballed into a contract at Leeds United in the Championship, which I would never in a million years have, have, have guessed it would be the case back in January, at the beginning of January when I was leading into that FA Cup. I would have thought I'd have been lucky to get a contract extension at Oldham on, you know, on peanuts. Um, so... Yeah, it was undoubtedly the sort of like sliding doors moment in my life where, you know, if that hadn't have happened, Lord knows what I'd be doing or where I'd be where I would be now. So, and it, I think the magical bit about that time, like you say, was I was able to bring my friends along with me because it was such a novel, weird. We were all, a, you know, a bit stuck, you know, like a bit fan, fan girly, fan boy about the whole moment. It was just so new and. The whole thing was just, was weird Like to, to get, you know, I'd never had my name on a national paper or, or anything like that, but to have that all snowball in, in one moment and to have all my school school lot, uni lot, all with me at that time, experience it with me, I think made it even more special.
0: I'm getting goosebumps remembering <laughs> it. It was so epic. Uh, and I'll never forget that we walked in and God, we were late. I think we were probably queuing for beers or something. And we were about one or two minutes late getting into our seats and suddenly Oldham had scored at the other end. This was against Liverpool in the first match. And I, it had been announced on the speaker who had scored and we hadn't heard it. And so we were asking all of these diehard fans around us, who scored, who scored? And someone went, oh, it was, it was Matt Smith. And we lost our minds. Because I'd <laughs> gone into that thinking, oh, if he plays, it'll be epic. Like, And then you were starting. I was like, he's starting against Liverpool, mega. And then he scored in the opening a couple of minutes. Yeah. Against Liverpool, it was just so so cool. And then I um, I remember my brother, my little brother Ollie, who's a huge Liverpool fan. Um, he, I think he came with me actually. I'm pretty sure he came with me. Um, he obviously was super excited by the whole thing, but he swears that Skirtle has never been the same
1: <laughs> the same
0: player since you bullied him that day.
1: Yeah, it's um, it, it was a real surreal experience. I don't think any any other lot in that group, and it was such a great group of lads we had at Oldham. You know, we all enjoyed that moment together, and like you say, it's still one that gets spoken about now. Like the the I swear the anniversary of that game that Oldham always do something online, and they did a really good montage or uh, clip back of it uh, this year, um, because it was a spe- historic moment for the club. You know, to for a club like Oldham to to take a scalp like that in the manner we did um, with a group of characters that we did, you know, Paul Dickoff, you know, great guy, loved him as a manager, you know, just everything about it was, it was a really special day and and moment for the club and one, you know, the club will hold in um, high regard for the,
0: And I remember, and like you said, your name had never been in the national paper and you'd never had that level of attention on you before. And suddenly you blew up. I remember being kind of at dinner with you afterwards and your phone was going, it was your agent. It was like Newcastle are calling Charlton, it was just crazy. How did you cope looking back with that level suddenly of exposure and attention from a very fickle press a press where you are the hero one minute and you are the zero the next you're the villain
1: yeah f- fine i think it was um it was obviously just yeah very strange and weird um, i think the that obviously i'd gone to university and been quite chummy with jack Whitehall, so they played on that narrative quite a bit that was quite heavy in the in the press but yeah no i got you know 50 grand a year boot deal off the back of that game you know i'd, I'd just weird things that were just out of nowhere just come to you, and I'll, I'll, like you say, attention of other clubs that you you would um, you would not think would be that. With the case, it was it was quite strange. But I was brought straight back down to earth because I dislocated my shoulder at the end of that game, so I had basically three weeks on the sideline. I had to see a specialist straight after. I said three weeks on the sideline. My comeback game, luckily, was the Everton game. So, in one hand, I was it was a bit of a. An, a kick in the teeth that I had to spend three weeks out the, um, out the team but then to come back for the Everton game and obviously for that to happen and then for the snowball yeah it was great I mean yeah I think it was just all great like I just, just really just soaked it in and just really enjoyed it and I had such a great group of lads with me like a lot of those lads from that team I still keep in touch with today so just really rode the wave and every, just enjoyed everything that, that came with it um, yeah some brilliant stuff and then like I said the, the icing on the cake was move to Leeds in the summer, which would never have been possible had it not been for that for that tournament.
0: And how did that moment feel? Can you remember looking back, what went through your mind when you were signing that contract with Leeds and suddenly really, you were a, really not just surreal. a league one player, but a championship player?
1: Really surreal. I think um, I, I, I was speaking with Sheffield Wednesday um, towards, you know, at the, at the end of the season, the inkling they were giving me was that, you know, I'd be a bit part player, you know, can you make the jump? And really kind of dumbing down my expectations at that, that level. Um, and I remember I was on holiday in America. I was in San Francisco airport just waiting for a taxi and the, the taxi rank and my agent Tim called and he said, uh, Brian McDermott wants to make you his first summer signing at Leeds. Uh, amazing club, brilliant club, you, you know, he, he really loves you, you're going to fit right in. I was just, I was just like, wow, this is incredible. And to be fair, obviously I, I knew Leeds were a big club, but until you go there, you don't quite realise how big it is. Um, yeah, and it was, it was brilliant. I, you know, Brian was such a, a great um, manager, really, you've obviously been promoted with Reading into the Premier League, he was held in the highest of regard, and rightly so, he's a great guy. Um, and yeah, to, to like I said, to, to sign a club like that was like beyond what I could have imagined, really.
0: Yeah, epic, and it completely kickstarted then your completely,
1: career. Yeah, and like you look back now, and you obviously, um, like I said before, I'm not really one to self reflect, but when you do, like now you're quite desensitised to a lot of these things. You know, the thought of playing a Premier League side like Liverpool wouldn't really shake me too much. Whereas back then, everything was a new experience, everything was a novel experience. So you know you, you did see things a little differently um but like any that's just part and parcel of the growth of you know football Of these experiences become more and more normal um and yeah that that really kick-started like my trajectory and my my stay in the championship for eight years since so it's it was great and like I said I've been fortunate to play for some some really good clubs in the meantime really enjoying my time at Millwall at the moment um so yeah, it's, it's it's been great. But when I look to a moment, you know, some people might not be able to see, you know, quite where their path uh, led them to. But you know, my moment was 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 that time. So yeah, brilliant.
0: And we had a pretty epic night out after I think all three matches.
1: <laughs> yeah, really enjoyed.
0: Um, <laughs> and um, big shout out to Sam Deacon, our very good friend, who I think fell asleep on the dance floor standing up.
1: Yeah, he's he's been known to do a lot of things but that's one of his party tricks I think so yeah we we really enjoy I think because we probably thought everyone would be the last moment so it was just I just enjoyed it for what it was and luckily we had three so yeah it was great I can remember going out with obviously you know my schoolmates my uni mates and then even a couple of my teammates we just really enjoyed it for what it was like at the end of the day we're all young 20 something year olds just soaking it up and just really enjoying it so no, it was great brilliant time
0: it was absolutely to your second life moment and obviously in life there are highs and there are lows uh, and this one is more of a personal one isn't it for you?
1: Yeah so you know I, I didn't I didn't really know how to approach the question but yeah like you said you reflect on on personal things that have happened in your life and to be honest I've been very lucky I, I've you know I've not really had you know a great deal of like trauma or grief in my life but yeah probably one moment was obviously the divorce of my parents which was happened a lot later in life I was well into my 20s um and yeah I, you just like a, a moment that kind of shapes you and then as an only child in that sense I have a half-brother from my mum's side but it, in terms of my parents being the only child like you do it does make you assess life in a different way you know you start to see your parents as people and not your parents and all the the repercussions of that really and I think it probably has helped me grow as a person um you know communicate a lot better I guess I've been forced to do that and um yeah like it, it's a moment that obviously changes the whole the, the whole um shape of your life really I'm, I'm lucky that it was as amicable maybe not right at the start but now it's largely amicable you know they, they can both sit at a game together and have a bite to eat together which is great Um, which makes it a lot easier than I guess some people have it. But yeah, as a moment, probably one of the the, the big moments from a personal perspective where you think, well, yeah, that shook the dynamic up a little bit. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think you and I have both spoken about this before because my parents are also separated. And we spoke about whether it's... And obviously we don't know the alternative, but whether it's easier for your parents to separate when you're a child or when you're in your early teens compared to when you're an adult and actually... Yes, you kind of have the emotions and the life experience to perhaps deal with it a bit better, but you also understand it in very, uh, you know, in no uncertain terms, what is happening, why it's happening. And like you said, you realize that, oh, my God, they're not mum and dad. They're a man and a woman, a husband and a wife who have got their own relationship and their own. Their own stuff going yeah, on. They're
1: humans. Absolutely. And you know, they they have you know deserve to be both happy in their own right. And when you know you have you married now, but when you have relationships of your own, you understand the concept of being in a happy relationship or a sad relationship, and one a relationship that gets the best out of you and one that gets the worst out of you. So you can understand, you know, it gets to a point where you know if, if the dynamic isn't isn't there, then you know it's it's not really fair for one or the other to put themselves through misery to to uh to, to stay together and um, obviously it's, it's difficult to take really difficult to take and um it's uh but i'm you know i have an amazing relationship with with both my mom and my dad and y- you know if you saw the three of us together you probably wouldn't think anything otherwise which is great um but like you say you just hope like ultimately i just want them both to be happy so yeah a lot very very different experience i can imagine to you know, when you quite don't have probably that emotional maturity when you're in your teens or even younger, yeah, it must be very, very difficult. So in terms of that, I'll probably a bit luckier maybe to say than a lot of other people.
0: And did you have people to talk to at the time? Did you reach out to people and kind of sort of express how you were feeling? Because I think no matter your age, it's an incredibly upsetting thing, isn't it? It kind of shakes the very foundations of what of everything you've ever known.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, My, my problem has always been, I I tend to bottle things up and maybe like chuck a, chuck a blanket over it. And then, but you know, you you soon learn that's not really the best way to go because at some stage, the blanket's going to explode and everything's going to come out. So um, I've got better with that definitely. But yeah, of course, you, you know, you, you like you, um, you fall on your other half. uh, You know, if you've got, you want to vent about or talk about or discuss, you know, and and close friends probably, yeah, that was, you know, those would be my people. Um, I've got a few very close friends and you know um, obviously Amy as well and then obviously with your mum and dad because I think it's what what you do realize is you need to communicate with them and not hold your you know your thoughts back you need to have like open open paths of communication as best as possible and sometimes maybe I was guilty of just keeping things in and not really expressing how I felt to them I think a lot is achieved by opening up and, and getting things out there as opposed to bottling it in so
0: I think you're I think you're no more guilty of that than than mm-hmm. certainly a lot of men I think that's something that men and especially you know big yeah. men tend to do is just go oh, I'll bottle that up I can't be seen to express my emotions. certainly in somebody in your position where you're playing football week in week out and you're on the pitch and you know you're a warrior out on the pitch so you can't show weakness as it were to yeah. an extent
1: of course yeah I think sometimes you may be guilty of know not wanting to upset someone so you think, you know, I'll just stomach that and get on with it. And if it means that I don't upset the other person, then then great. You know what I mean? But really in the long term it's it's not the healthiest way to go about it. So that was like my my takeaway from the whole experience is communication really. So you know to to better yourself and at the Pump I think will take you a long way in really like making strides and you know being healthy and happy.
0: And you mentioned, of course, Amy, your wife. Did it change the way that you viewed relationships or, or viewed that relationship or viewed love and marriage at all?
1: Good question. Um, not a cent- Not especially, you know, I'm, I've always been very content and happy in my relationships. Obviously, when you see someone who's not content and happy in their relationship, it just naturally, you know, makes you sad for them, really. Um, obviously, you know, I've done a lot of growing up in the you know, past few years and, you know, got engaged, got married. So, you, you know, I'm just enjoying that journey really and you know i hope to have a family of my my own one day so you know everything that brings with it it's just something that i'm really excited for um and you know amy's got a very tight-knit family on her side which is which is a really nice dynamic and you know, it's just something i could just hope that like my family will have you know one day so yeah just all the nice things really that, that comes with but no as a you know it's um it's just a, a journey like i said that i'm, that I'm really enjoying
0: and obviously, actually, that's a personal backdrop to, I'd imagine you continuing to play week in, week out as well. Did it affect your performance on the pitch? Did it affect how you were in training and around the? Club? Where were you? Which club were you at at that
1: point? I was at QPR. Um, I was at QPR. No, not at all. Not at all. It didn't. I'll be honest. It, um, football's a. Weird, it's got a weird escapism to it. You know, it, for me, it's always been a bit of a release when you, you are playing. You don't. Tend to think about it when you're actually physically out on the grass. You don't really think about these things. Everything just kind of drifts off, and you're really kind of in the moment, focusing on football, and it's a nice release in that in that respect. Yeah, you think about things maybe are outside of training ground and games and all the rest of it. But no, I wouldn't say it, it, I wouldn't say it had a bearing on on um, on my performance. Um, like I said, there was nothing there was nothing nasty about the whole experience which maybe you know if it was maybe that might have made it a bit different but I was probably lucky there was like there was a lot of respect and a lot of love in the whole scenario so probably got you know I was lucky in that respect
0: absolutely well thank you for sharing that because I know it's always difficult to talk about family stuff and personal stuff especially as a big bloke who plays football so I think it's good to address what goes on personally because it it can so often form a backdrop that people don't don't know about
1: absolutely no
0: problem um, point number three, I mentioned, of course, in the intro that you had an unusual route into the sport and not kind of the typical footballer pathway. This was you being released from Cheltenham Town Academy in 2007 and where it took you from there.
1: Yeah, I think it's that was obviously quite a poignant moment um, from a professional standpoint, absolutely. I think it's an all too common story, I guess, of youngsters. You know, going through an academy system, getting to 18 years old, getting released, what's next? Do you know, what I mean, I think the Americans do it a lot better the way they have their college system, draft system. You know, they encourage education first and football second, which I think is the best way to do it, really. Um, you know, because the opportunities for these youngsters that get left by the wayside is just is non-existent. Do you know, what I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a battle for them. It's an uphill battle for them from then on in. Um, obviously, I was lucky. You know, I went to Pates and I had a, a good education behind me. So that, you know, the door at, at Cheltenham Town closed, you know, the, the other one going to university was open for me, which was great. But for 99.9% of the other lads, it wasn't the case. So um, there was only one lad that got took on professionally. And to, be, to be honest, I didn't expect to get professional terms. You know, Cheltenham was a, you know, a club with, with not the biggest of budgets. I wasn't playing a lot of reserve team football. I was more of a, you know, just a solid under 18s lad. Um, obviously it's really sad You when it happens you know I can empathise with lads and the feeling they must have you know I remember crying in the car park at Seasons training complex in Swindon Village like with my dad um, just that natural emotion of rejection really It's, it's you know it happens and uh, and yeah and then the thought there was like what now you know university was the obvious call and I think I just thought you know that that would be where I'll, I'll go next you know professional football's not a thing for me, let's, let's, let's try that avenue and it was the best thing I could have done. It was absolutely the best thing I could have done. It got me, it got me um, obviously a great education at Manchester University but also plugged me right back into uh, men's football and I played a lot of non-league football throughout my four years of, of university which was a stepping stone for where I ended up and a lot of luck and timing when I actually, you know, you think about these things and you think, wow, like a lot of things just clicked into place at the right time. Like you're very fortunate in some, you know, in some regard and, um, you know, playing for a lot of the non-local Manchester teams in my sort of first three, in my first two years, sorry, I went to Arizona for my third, but when I came back, I really had a great year in non-league and that was when all them uh, became aware of that. And then the back end of that I ended up signing for them. So I, you know, I was applying for jobs in London in December, but playing football doing really well. And then by May, I was speaking to Paul Dickhoff. June, I'd signed a contract. July, I'd graduated. And July, I was starting a new career as a footballer. So yeah, the whole sequence of the timing thing was was unbelievably perfect. Um, because if, you, if you'd have said that opportunity might have arrived a year sooner and I was still at university, it would, probably would have been quite a difficult decision to make, do I abandon the 3 years i put into this thing or do i pursue um, a dream so the, the timing of it i got very very lucky
0: you've just said it was a dream there was it always for you a case of cuz you know when i look back to school i don't remember you you saying i'm going to be a professional footballer yeah, i, I want to be a professional I never footballer
1: thought, i never thought i would obviously yeah. like I it would yeah a dream absolutely um if you could have said what could you have been i would have said a footballer undoubtedly Uh, Did I ever think it was possible? Absolutely not. No way. Like Even like I said at Cheltenham, I never expected to get a contract. But like you say, when someone tells you that you're not good enough, that rejection still hurts regardless of whether you expect it or not. Um, And yet at university, absolutely not. No, I was drinking three or four times a week, put on a load of weight. Um, I was living really unhealthily, playing a very low level of non-league football. It wasn't, like I said, A weird shift, I guess, in the final year where a a friend that I played at a lower level with was now the manager of a Conference North team just invited me along for pre-season training just to keep fit. And I just did well. Like, there was no real secret. So I just happened to do well in that period and then snowballed into a good season at a good level. Um, And uh, I think in my final year, safe to say, I was probably... like a product of my environment as well like all my mates at uni had finished their three-year course I was not left alone but I had fewer friends seriousness of final year studies like I just got my my act together in that respect and you know I was a lot more disciplined um you know very concentrated on my football and my studies and it was very you know my work my work-life balance was was in was in check so um yeah but no if you'd have said the first three years I would have said I would have laughed at you. Yeah, no. But like I said, that one year just transformed my whole whole world in that respect.
0: And your dad was a professional footballer, wasn't he? And was there not pressure? Because I've met your dad and I can't imagine (laughs) him putting pressure on you in that sense, being that sort of pushy parent. But was there even a subconscious pressure, even one you put on yourself, to sort of emulate what he achieved?
1: Zero, absolutely zero. My dad coached me from as soon as I started playing when I was five or six to, through to as soon as late as well, he was coaching me even when I turned professional, it was purely an enjoyment thing from his perspective. He was as excited to watch me play for new mills in Division 13 of the Pyramid as he was to watch me play against the Premier League side. The, it, it was, He would have as much enjoyment from his day going to the stands, having a hot shot and a Snickers at half-time and commenting on the game after the enthusiasm was as evident there as it is now he just loved and do just i think he just loves the the day out and you know um it's it's what he lives for you know obviously for him it's a bit of a stinker at the minute not being able to to come to the games like a lot of my friends how's your dad coping because he's always at the (laughs) i said yeah i think he's desperate to get back um but no he never put pressure on me if anything, he, maybe, he always, or the only one thing he was really hot on was enthusiasm. So his big thing was, you didn't look enthusiastic to play today. Why was that? Or do you know what I mean? It was never about my ability or how I did in the game. It was just purely on you know my enthusiasm and desire to play. Those are his two big things. And if anything, those are probably the two big things that stick with me today because what I've noticed or my understanding, understanding of the game now is like it's not how good you are it's how well you use your talent how how much desire and professionalism you show and those are probably the things that my dad instilled in me from a very young age I would say it was never about you know obviously he wanted me to get better as a player but it was the focus wasn't really on those technical ability things it was more on your work ethic and your desire and that's what sticks to me now.
0: I wonder what Cheltenham Town think now
1: it's funny, it's not-
0: <laughs> released you back in 2007 <laughs> and then you went on that like FA Cup run and now you're a championship player for eight
1: years. I I, I, Bob Bloomer was my my youth team coach and when he released me, I hadn't seen him and then the next time I saw him was when I was at Bristol when we won the GPT at Wembley and he was in the, the foyer after and I saw him. That's the first time I'd spoke to him was after that and I think he was a, like going gobsmacked to be, <laughs> to be honest. So, uh, I don't think he expected it as as much as I did, but no, he's a lovely man. You know, he, it's it's part of his job is, is to do what he does. So um, so no, yeah, that's the next time I spoke to him.
0: They'll be kicking themselves, I'm sure. <laughs> um, your fourth moment in life are the early days of Fulham, and I think you are unusual as a footballer. You have a university education. Um, you're obviously from down here in Gloucestershire, and there is a footballer culture, isn't there? That you, I guess, as a player wanting to fit into whichever club and a new group of players you're with had to try and avoid toe the line, find that balance between being a discipline player and also being one of the lads. So how, how did you sort of tread that balance?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the one thing I think I noticed more so signing for Fulham than I did for Leeds. Um, is you, you know, you come to the bright lights of London and the temptation that that brings with it. You know, there's always something to do in London. And, you know, I came into a very eclectic squad, should I say, lads from all over the world. You know, I'm sure a lot of the, the lads' motives were to come play for a big team in London. And, and And it was a very, very different time. You know, lads were going out couple of times a week without fail and, you know, going to the West End and all the rest of it and you do see, you see a lot of lads fall by the wayside and get sucked in and spat out very, very quickly um, and it is a big learning curve. You know, you do realise that the thing I realise is that players are where they are for a reason. They're not there by chance. They're there because they work really hard and they dedicate themselves to football. You know, gone are the days where you could be a party animal and, you know, a bit of a maverick and then show up on a Saturday and, and it is, you, you, you're too you're too monitored, you know, particularly in training now. You've got GPS units, you've got saliva tests, blood tests. Um, you, you're so, you're in test. You, you're so heavily monitored about every aspect of your, your, your day-to-day that you, you'd get found out. You know, you can't hide in training because your data's pulled up on a spreadsheet that gets put into a WhatsApp group chat every day. You know how far everyone else is Run how hard everyone else has worked. Um, so y- you have to be so so disciplined. Um, and I think it was a real eye opener. Was my, my probably my first bit, bit of Fulham when I was looking at these lads and thinking, Wow, like you know, they're working hard and playing harder, but they're gonna get found out. And they did. Um, and that group so got smaller, and there was only a few surviving by the end. And it's you yeah, know, largely a different group now, but um. I think it taught me the importance of, of discipline um, and not getting carried away by temptations. that's just always there, um, which is, you know, very, very easily done. Um, but like I say to everyone who asks, yeah, people are, people are here for a reason. Is because they work really hard, dedicate themselves to football and, and live a very professional, healthy life um, and especially longevity. Um, you know, you can see players here for a period of time and then slip It's a very slippery slope. You know, you see, especially now, you see some lads. Wow, like I played against him in the championship and he was brilliant, and now he's in League Two. And you think, how has that happened? Do you know what I mean? Then you look at, you dig a bit deeper and you get a bit closer, and you kind of you can see patterns and trends emerge in that respect. So, yeah, the, the the one thing I would say is the the dedication to your to your craft is is crucially important because otherwise you will you will slip down the slope.
0: Were there any specific nights out or specific moments where you thought, I really shouldn't be out right now? Sure this, is, <laughs> uh, this is not good.
1: I suffered really when I got injured. Um, I was injured. My touch wood, my, my only real bad injury was a knee injury and I think I felt a bit sorry for myself. So yeah, I probably did go out a lot more than I should have done at that time because um, I just thought, you know what, I'm not back for 12 weeks. What's the problem? But it's definitely not the way I should have looked at it. I should have looked at it as you know, these things are not going to help you get back fit and strong. So that was probably my one, yeah, bit of wake-up moment. But largely, I it didn't mean I missed a lot of football. But yeah, it's uh, so you you do like, you do witness some mental things. You know, groups of lads spending people's salaries on a night out without even blinking. Do you know what I mean? And you think like. Come on, guys! Like you need a bit more education here. It's not gonna. It's not sustainable. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 stupid. And um, you know, you see, in, see a lot of people, it's obviously, well publicised now in the press. You know what people are up to, and you do think like this is not a good look. And you go, um, stay dedicated, and 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 you'll reap the rewards more more long term
0: yeah I mean camera phones are everywhere aren't they and you make one mistake you're pictured in the wrong bar the wrong club with the wrong group of people and it it will be in the press won't it and I think there is that kind of cancel culture now where you will be dragged down
1: yeah you know people are quick to judge as such especially with social media nowadays such a short-term view on everything you know very everyone's very impatient this cancel culture, obviously, like you say, is very prevalent. So you've you got to be careful. You know, sometimes you're not even doing something wrong, but you just, it looks like you're doing something wrong and then people formulate an opinion and these opinions can can gather, can gather momentum so quickly. Um, so you got to be very careful and, you know, have your head screwed on right.
0: Do you think there's one thing about your personality, about your upbringing, nature, nurture, that has kept you on the straight and narrow, that has helped you deal with the temptation?
1: um yeah i mean like i say having a good network of people around you that would you know between you know my wife and my friends and my family there's no one there that would ever let me do something reckless or stupid but you'd be surprised you've you know you've got people's families and friends that do encourage them to be a bit more uh do a bit more reckless and you know and not consider the actions of of what they're doing um you'd be very surprised so having that you know that education, and like I say, the, the the real support network of people that only want the best for you is is what's going to put you in good stead there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we will talk as well about your final point, which is 2020, and well, I say 2020, it's ongoing, isn't it? It's the coronavirus yeah. pandemic. I don't know this. how long
1: it's been. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, just a big old. Of time.
0: I know we're still going with it aren't we um and in this time you got married as well just talk us through yeah. kind of the last 12 months for you I guess
1: yeah I mean it's been obviously strange for everyone but maybe more so for me in a certain aspect was I was obviously due to get married in Portugal in um in June uh which obviously didn't happen because of Covid so we pushed it back to this June coming, but again, you know, there's question marks whether or not that will be able to happen because it's abroad and, and all the rest of it. So we actually thought, you know what, we're not going to wait for Boris to greenlight something here. We want to get married. We want to start a family and all the rest of it. So we, we ended up getting married in a pretty private or well, a very private um, ceremony in London and reception in London, which was brilliant. There was only 25 permitted. Um, so we just had close friends, you know, friends and family, best men, bridesmaids and immediate family. Uh, and it was brilliant we uh, it was such a perfect day, and you know when you actually think like that was everything that it was meant to be like it was it was perfect and um I think everyone that was there really valued it for what it was and I think also when you reflect on what an awful year it's been for so many things, that one day was like almost like a a fairy tale day in a year of just total chaos really um so no, it was brilliant, and and obviously, yeah, we started married life in a, in strange, strange circumstances, like we go on honeymoon, or we meant, to be fair. We did manage a two week holiday, um, a bit um, a bit after for for a little for a little bit, which was great. But um, you know, largely that the plans what we had were kind of thrown out the window. But at the same time, um, a really really special day. Like absolutely absolutely loved it.
0: And I think it's all the more special, isn't it, when actually you guys had the chance to to do it in a period which was so gloomy, like you said, and you had yeah. this magical moment.
1: Yeah, that's it, that's it. Like obviously, don't get me wrong, we would have absolutely loved 180 people in Portugal having a big party and all the rest of it. But when you do strip it all back and you think like what really matters is just that the you know, the those immediate people in your room that were that are really close, the closest to you. So it was special for so many reasons and you know we were able to let our hair down like have a bit of a sing song and a dance we had a saxophone guy who just stayed all night and played music for us yeah it was brilliant like it was honestly perfect and um, one that you know you'll always look back on and think you know what like given everything that happened we were so lucky to again have such a great day
0: and how else did 2020 allow you to reflect? I think we all spent the extra time we had, the time and the space and the more simple life, reflecting, didn't we? I think a lot of people kind of had some realizations and, and had some new perspectives on life.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you, you do makes you for sure not take take for granted the um, the little things in life, the luxuries of being able to go out for a bite to eat with your loved ones and have a have a drink and a, a bit of food on a, on a Saturday night or during the week and you know I think the little things we're not going to take for granted any, any longer and you know the ability to, to go on holiday and do all these things you wow that the, the amazing luxuries that you just totally take for granted so I, I don't think they'll be taking them for granted any, any longer um, and I think you know looking particularly from a, from a professional standpoint looking at the, the climate of football now and um you know the, the 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 loss of fans and the the implications that's had on on plays. It, it makes you start to think like, wow, like you know, lads are, are struggling to find clubs, and you know, you think, well, oh, I'm 31, turning 32, retirement. When is that going to happen? So it does make you think all these things, um, and and what your next steps are. So probably. If anything, it's made me start to kind of think about my next steps um, into life after football, which I hope is, but not for another five, six years. I'd love to, to play until my late 30s. I've got no pace to lose, like I'm ugly. <laughs> <Yeah>, I
0: was <laughs> about I, to
1: say I've, that. I'm lucky, probably. It's not like I blistering. My legs were, they're not going to conk out on me. They're, they're just as bad now as they were then. So it's... Uh, it's um. So hopefully, like I said, I've got a good few more years left, but you know you start to spin spin plates um for when that finishes, and I think maybe covid's maybe may brought that to light a little bit more
0: um and what are you thinking in in that time then that when you do retire what what are you have you put into motion now to hopefully ease that retirement
1: yeah, so i would like to that you know all these things are you know subject to change I mean, you know th- things happen and you meet people and opportunities might come up but you know in, on my face it, i would like to say in football you know it's it's um it's the industry that i've you know i've grown up knowing so you know, it's, the, it's your network of there's you know anyone in any sort of professional work will know that they're the people you network with and you know and it's the, your surroundings that you enjoy so i would you know obviously i graduated with a business degree Uh, pre-football I've always had a real keen interest in business I've just started a master's at MBA in July Um, so that'll be going on for the next couple of years so you know I'll come out with that off the back of it hopefully with my experience in football it would lend itself to something in the in the football industry from a business perspective you know whether that's a director of football or you know more senior role that would be you know the pipe dream I guess Um, for now I've just got to try and I think the 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 MBA and all that side of thing is it, actually quite complemented, the football. It's given me an additional focus. And, you know, when not a lot of the, the world's on pause, it's actually quite nice to have something that, you know, will bring you out on the other side and be beneficial.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: so, yeah, that's kind of where, where my head's at, really, at the minute.
0: Brilliant stuff. Matt Smith. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's still so strange calling you Matt, but I feel like I should be sort of semi-professional. <laughs> Um, Thank you so much for such a brilliant chat about the good old days at Oldham, through to Leeds, to Fulham, and then on to Millwall, of course, now as well. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, It was great hearing from you. Um, As always with my podcast, we ask for a fan to send a question in. Um, And Nicole (laughs) has sent a question (laughs) saying... Um, I would like to know what career he would have pursued if he wasn't a footballer.
1: That's a good question, Nicole. Hmm. Um, poof. So, I guess the easy answer is to say what I was applying for when I, you know, I was applying for these management consultancy roles um, for different firms when I was in the midst of that sort of transitional period. And I didn't really have any luck. I think I had three interviews and they all said no. So, I think I would have just plugged away with that, really. And yeah, failing that. PE teacher at Pate's who knows I don't know
0: um, oh Pate would have had you back for sure yeah,
1: that's my, that was my uh, my last ditch uh, last ditch resort they uh, would have
0: had you as a football coach absolutely they,
1: exactly exactly so yeah no I would have tried for a career in the city um, you know all those graduate schemes I think I would have tried to hop onto that and and delve my way into the business world in London and um Seeing what, seeing what that would have brought but luckily I've got to to do something that I, I much prefer doing
0: yeah it's a bit more exciting wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> oh Smith brilliant stuff thank you so so much um I know you're playing well it's February what date are we on February 22nd you're playing Luton tonight aren't you tomorrow
1: night tomorrow, tomorrow night tomorrow night I was gonna yeah. say if it was
0: tonight you actually should probably get going yeah, if ready,
1: <laughs> yeah no, tomorrow <laughs> night so yeah we just got the night in the hotel before so uh so yeah no, we're all good
0: well, best of luck for the season um, and for what's to come. And hopefully we'll get fans back in stadiums soon. So you can your celebrations when you score
1: <laughs> aren't
0: quite so weird.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: It's all a bit odd right now, isn't it? Thank you so much, Smith. I'll chat to you soon. Well, there we go. Wasn't Smith just brilliant? And I know football is a slight departure from my usual sports. But I think the lessons Smith talked about can be applied in any walk of life and are just as inspiring. So a big thank you to him for his time. I absolutely loved reminiscing on that FA Cut run as well. It was such an exciting few weeks. Well, that's it for today. Don't forget, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave a review for the podcast as well. Lessons Learned is out weekly, this series dropping every Monday. So I'll be back next time with another brilliant guest from the world of sport to reflect on the lessons that we learn in every human experience. Until then, take care and see you soon.